Today's episode is sponsored by Tigo. For most of us, indemnity insurance is one of our biggest costs of practice. But when was the last time you took a look at the coverage and compared your premium with others? Many of us are still with the same insurer we joined in med school or intern year. Thousands of doctors have made the switch to Tigo and benefited from their personalised approach to pricing. You will also get an extra two months free in your first year. If you are new to private practice, you might even qualify for four years of discounted premiums. Tigo offers competitive premiums, quality cover and 24-7 support backed by top Medico legal advisors. Get a free quote and discover why thousands of doctors are insured by Tigo by visiting tigo.com.au. Hello listeners and welcome to Deep Breaths, a podcast covering topics related to the part two anaesthetic exam. I'm Dr. Kate McCrossan. And I'm Dr. Kate Steele. And today's episode is We Are Family, where we'll discuss whether families should be allowed in the operating room. In this podcast, we represent our own views and not those of our employers or ANSCA. So this episode is going to be a little different to previous episodes because we want to discuss a really interesting article that featured in the journal Anesthesia and Analgesia in October 2022. This article, which you can link to in our episode notes, explores whether families should be allowed to observe their loved one's surgical procedures within operating rooms and comes amid the request for increasing quality transparency within healthcare in the United States. With the increasing access that family members have in their loved one's hospital care, there seems to be an almost natural progression for requesting access to witness surgeries too. Now, I'm curious, Kate, have you ever had a situation where a family member has requested access to theatre for their loved one's surgeries outside the usual practice with, say, paediatrics or caesarean sections, for example? I have not. Have you? I have. So, it's... It's funny, I have really mixed feelings about this. Generally speaking, when we've explained why why access to surgeries and the presence in theatre, you know, beyond paediatrics and caesarean mm. sections, when, when I've explained why that can't happen, people are actually very okay with it. Mm. And I think the attitude has always been, well, it never hurts to ask. Mm. And so I can understand why they do it because they're legitimately concerned Mm. in many instances. In a couple of instances, I've had family members that have had loved ones having surgery who have dementia or some Mm. sort of disability where Mm. they've wanted to be there just to help. Yeah. Yeah. So I can completely understand why, you know, the reason for the request. But I've I've never had a situation where... I've had a family member that got really agitated or angry. They were always very understanding Mm. and it was never really a big deal. Mm. But I can certainly see that there would be situations where there would be um, unhappiness at not being able to do what you want or expect for whatever reason. Mm. So it has happened a couple of times and frankly people have always been pretty good about, Mm. you know, it being a surgery and not a spectator sport. Mm. So, yeah, it's been fine. Oh, well, we'll get into the article and we can make our mind up at the end. Yeah, yeah. So, look, in addressing this issue of family access to operating theatres, this article suggests that there are several important considerations to explore. Does it benefit the patient? Does it benefit the family in increasing understanding, contextualising care or helping process emotions around care? Are there harms to the patient, the family or the clinician? If appropriate, how do you go about providing family access across diverse patient populations? Is there an increasing expectation to provide transparency that family presence in the operating room would allow, independent of clinical benefit, so long as there are no clinical harms? 
Now, we know that decision-making has shifted from paternalism to a more family and patient-centric approach, and in doing so has restored an element of autonomy for patients. Family units are encouraged to interact with healthcare providers and be active participants in the decision-making process. And with the increasing transparency in care decisions, we have already seen major changes in family presence within hospitals. Indeed, in many institutions, family presence during invasive procedures and resuscitations within hospital emergency departments and intensive care units is much more commonplace, particularly within paediatric healthcare facilities. This extends too to many outpatient procedures and interventions. In anaesthesia, there already exist a few clinical circumstances in which family presence is commonplace, and some of these include, as we've already mentioned, paediatric anaesthetic inductions, caesarean delivery, or the provision of labour epidurals, just to name a few. We thought we'd start by briefly discussing paediatric anaesthetic inductions and look at the benefits and harms that can occur in this situation. Now, we all know that anaesthetic induction for children can cause significant anxiety and that this has physical, mental and physiological manifestations at the time of induction, as well as long-term sequelae that include regressive behavioural disorders, nightmares, separation anxiety, eating disorders and bedwetting. In many instances, pre-medications like midazolam or clonidine are prescribed with the intent of sedating and calming a child prior to anaesthetic induction, and we know that this often has a positive effect. Interestingly, though, the evidence looking at parental presence for induction and resulting anxiolysis has been mixed. Some studies show that parental presence for inductions confers equal and greater anxiolysis when compared to oral midazolam, but a 2015 Cochrane review assessing non-pharmacological interventions for assisting paediatric inductions reported that parental presence did not affect children's anxiety and cooperation during induction, parental satisfaction, the time needed for the induction, or the child's quality of recovery. That's fascinating. Um, No, I mean, most experiences I've had at paediatric inductions, although it's been a little while, is good. You have the Mm. odd time where the parent is maybe crying or anxious and Mm. that actually seems to make the child more anxious. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's really fascinating. I find that very interesting. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because anxious parents generally worsen child anxiety, Mm. but really good parents can make such a massive difference. Yeah, so when you even it out, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. Children with sensory integration differences or neurodivergence may require different management perioperatively than those that don't have these conditions. Unfortunately, many parents of children with these special needs often report inductions as not being smooth. The article suggests that special consideration as to the presence or absence of family during inductions be made on a case-by-case basis, and that it is unclear whether benefit exists for these children and their experiences. The article also mentions the complexity of having parents present for paediatric induction in the instances of language barriers, cultural barriers, the biases present within the medical system, and the varying degrees of trust in the healthcare system for specific ethnic populations. It's no surprise to any of us working in healthcare that implicit and explicit racial and ethnic bias exists, but the impact that this can have on paediatric anesthesia inductions is unquantified. The study of family presence for paediatric inductions is quite interesting, and there are so many determinants of patient experience that come into play when assessing whether a child and their parents have an overall good or bad experience. Yeah, and I suppose what I'm taking from this is that different patients and populations have different needs, expectations and desires, and that what works for one family unit may not necessarily work for another, and it's important for us to really keep this in mind. Mm. As a shift from the uncertainty surrounding the benefits and harms surrounding paediatric anaesthetic induction, 
Family presence during labour, neuraxial anaesthesia and caesarean section generally appears to be more positive from the perspective of the woman having a baby. The partner experience varies though. Partners generally express a positive attitude toward their presence during labour and childbirth, but younger partners express higher levels of anxiety than their older counterparts. There are also studies that show a large proportion of partners, almost 30%, are pathologically anxious, and whether this impacts the partner experience is uncertain. The last clinical situation in which family presence is more commonplace and which was discussed in this article is during resuscitation and invasive procedures. Family presence during resuscitation has been shown to assist in a family's understanding of the decision-making process that contributes to this type of acute care scenario. It also clarifies the effort that a healthcare team goes to when resuscitating a patient and attempting to save their life, and also helps families in the process of grieving. Now, I've actually had an experience with this when I was working in intensive care, where a family were present during multiple cardiac arrests and resuscitations for a loved one who unfortunately ended up passing away. But the feedback we received from the family was that even though it was hard to watch, it helped them understand that everything we were doing to try and save their loved one was futile and it also helped them grieve. Now, it's worthwhile mentioning though that in this particular instance, a senior intensive care nurse actually stayed with the family and they were explaining everything that was happening during each each resuscitation as well as answering their questions which I'd posit probably had a significant impact on their experience as well. Mm, It's a very interesting experience. Yeah. So other benefits to family presence that have been cited in this article include moral benefits in particular the belief that the family have a right to be present or to choose whether to be present, decreasing the likelihood of litigation through transparency and increasing staff professionalism by having family witness the care being provided. Of interest, some facilities that have integrated family presence as routine during resuscitation and invasive procedures report greater staff, patient and family satisfaction ratings, which is really interesting. Mm. As well as this, there is a correlation between family presence and a decrease in emergency presentations, faster recovery, decreased utilisation of healthcare resources and decreased medical costs. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Now, there are many concerns and controversies that are raised by this article in regards to family presence in certain healthcare settings. The first is the potential for harm caused by psychological distress that may be experienced by family members witnessing procedures or resuscitations. Specifically, that family may be quite unprepared for how confronting and visceral a specific clinical situation may be, as well as the appearance of chaos during a resuscitation. Another is that it can be distracting to clinicians when trying to perform a procedure with family members present, with a redirection of their focus from the patient and the task at hand to the family members. This can manifest as feelings of distraction, discomfort with being observed, struggling to hide emotions, increased nervousness and anxiety, team stress, concerns about litigation, and the performance aspect of providing care in the presence of family that would not be there with the family's absence. And all of these are very understandable. Mm. There are also concerns about increased rates of infections and general infection control, but uncertainty as to whether family presence would elevate this risk any more than the elevated risk from the already significant (laughs) foot traffic through suites by staff and students remains uncertain. One concern I find particularly interesting is not so much related to family members being present in the flesh, but instead requesting recordings of invasive or surgical procedures. It has been proposed that allowing the families and patients access to recording of their intervention or surgery would be beneficial in helping understand their surgery. 
Interestingly, though, families have raised concern that this would distract the surgical team and that the only benefit conferred was for medical legal documentation. Mm, Yeah, it is quite interesting that both parties have Mm. concerns. Now, it's worthwhile mentioning that fairly recently in the United States, a patient successfully sued for damages caused by the distress incurred after listening to the operating room discussions he recorded on his smartphone Mm. while sedated and undergoing a procedure. I'm sure many of us can remember Mm. that. This proposes that formal recording during surgery or a procedure would change the nature of the discussions and interactions amongst clinicians, but that there may actually be a benefit in promoting professionalism. Mm. It's Mm. interesting, isn't it? Mm. Okay, so we've looked at a few specific examples of where family presence is already integrated into healthcare, and we've discussed some of the concerns surrounding integration of family member presence into areas like operating rooms. So now it's worthwhile looking at the literature that exists around this subject. Though the literature is limited, there appear to be three benefits in having family members present either in or out of operating room contexts, and these are, first, enhancing family understanding of clinical care and to inform acute decision-making, second, a direct benefit in terms of reducing patient anxiety or the need for anaesthetics or restraints, and third, end-of-life or serious situations where family perceptions of grief and loss are likely to be positively impacted by family presence. It is highly likely that circumstances within the operating theatre that mirror these clinical situations would result in benefit from family presence. That said, many of the potential benefits of family presence are often poorly provided in the delivery of care across racial, ethnic and socioeconomic groups. There needs to be greater consistency for all patients and families. Yeah, absolutely. Literature surrounding recordings during operations and parental or partner presence within operating theatres raises specific potential barriers for its implementation. First, it remains unclear whether family presence in the operating room would provide any angiolytic or other potential benefit beyond the benefit from pharmacological pre-medication. Second, within current precedents like paediatric anaesthetic inductions and caesarean sections, the benefit of family presence is difficult to quantify and may have variable impacts on different patient subgroups, underlying family emotional states and the severity of the clinical context. Third, medico-legal concerns which are already heightened around perioperative care. And fourth, distractions to the care team by the presence of family members which includes increased team stress and self-consciousness. In a nutshell, there appear to be many potential benefits to having family members present within the operating room in specific patient populations and clinical scenarios. But there are also many barriers to implementing this and legitimate concerns as to how the presence of family would potentially negatively impact patient care. Kate, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, look, I've, I've spent a few weeks thinking about this after we found this article and in truth, I have really mixed feelings about this. So look, I understand that there are benefits and drawbacks in having family members present in operating theatres, but my concern about implementing a policy like this one on a large scale re- really relates to the potential harm that may be caused to patients mm. and family members mm. and how... In my mind, it feels like it will likely be difficult to predict which families will be susceptible to to negative experiences. And I suppose ultimately my concern is that we will inadvertently do more harm than good. Mm, Yeah. I mean, we're always trying to improve the patient experience and Mm. by extension the family member experience. Mm. But, yeah, it's it's a very complex issue, I think. And um, There's really not a one-size-fits-all for each family. No. that's going to make it hard. Yeah, because there's no way that you can predict who's going to benefit and who's going to actually be harmed. So, yeah, I need to... And it's, it's, it's a very interesting thing to think mm. about. And, and yeah, is there some 
because the problem is there's so many reasons you might want to do it yeah and then depending on so if it's medical legal we'll go yeah. for the recording right instead yeah. uh, if it's for understanding maybe go for the recording if it's yeah. for the patient but you know and then if the patient's under general anesthetic well you know until you know obviously up until the point they're asleep mm. but you no know, should we should we be letting family yeah. members come in to stay with their you know their loved one while they you know while they go off to sleep similar to a pediatric you know mm. if someone's very anxious why not bring a support person just because they haven't you know been mm. labeled with you know an actual pathology or they i don't yeah. know anyway there's lots of interesting it's really interesting mm. isn't it and mm. i mean obviously it will be a much more labor intense process having a family member mm. there as a standard and i get that but well, that's, yeah, that's the just, other thing, resource constraints for someone to care for yeah. their family member and bring them in and out. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's even simple things like whenever you have a family member in theatre, there has to be a dedicated staff mm. member there that can then take that person outside, that's right. that's explain right. to them what's going on mm. and, you know, suddenly then, you know, if you're having to employ more people to mm. be able to do that to satisfy that requirement, mm. it's, suddenly, it's, it's suddenly an issue that becomes really complicated. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. So, I mean, yeah. look, let's face it, what generally tends to happen in either the United States or Britain often filters down and happens mm. in Australia. So it's something that's worthwhile watching mm. and um, not necessarily holding my breath. But <laughs> we'll wait on. and see. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So this brings us to the end of another episode. But before we say goodbye, Kate, what have you learned in anesthesia this week? Well, this isn't something I've necessarily learned in anesthesia, but something I've experienced over the last couple of months is some fairly impressive short-term memory loss. And I'm actually wondering whether I've had COVID and not realized and whether this is some post-COVID cognitive dysfunction. Mm. So just to ease everyone's mind out there, whenever I sneeze basically or cough, I take a rat test. And thus far, I've always had negative rat tests. But particularly when we did our statistics episode with Shannon Morrison that I'm sure you've, well, I hope you've all listened to because it's fabulous. One of the things I realized is just how bad the sensitivity is for rat tests for COVID, particularly specific strains. So I actually wonder whether we've had COVID and that this is a post-COVID cognitive cognitive dysfunction either that or i'm getting spectacularly early onset alzheimer's i'm not entirely sure what's more distressing <laughs> oh gosh, hopefully not hopefully not yeah so mm. i don't know so i've been really what i've learned is that frankly i just have to write some stuff down because previously i prided myself on having a fantastic mm. memory and i'm just forgetting stuff left right and center mm. and it's just it's getting to the point now where i don't want it to start impacting on my clinical mm. practice but i'm worried it mm. is so take care of your brains everyone and if you can avoid getting covid please do because this is mm -hmm. absolutely rubbish this, yeah, this is well, horrid they've just announced the federal government's just announced a 50 million dollars for research into long covid so ah. there you go just another little tidbit yeah mm. interesting mm. so look how about you kate what have you learned in anesthesia this week acknowledging of course that you are still on family leave still on leave yes well this isn't strictly anesthetic this topic is interesting because mm. i had to take my dog a few months ago to the vet okay uh, to the vet hospital because he'd ingested a large amount of dynamic lifter oh jeez he's done before but anyway he got quite sick with this one and um oh, gosh yeah anyway so i had to take him to this vet hospital and you know, but anyway it was just funny because talk about presence of family members right mm. so they took him out the back and they'll oh, we'll do some bloods and if he's really well behaved we'll, we'll do a blood pressure and we'll do they wouldn't even injection of some sort mm. Okay, yeah, all right. And I was like, good luck with that because uh, Little Soot has um, you know, a bit of uh, fear of the vet from when he was younger because mm. he had quite bad hip pain that took a while to diagnose. Mm. Anyway, so he, he, sometimes we I actually um, put a little muzzle on him sometimes mm. at the vet if they're examining his back half. So I thought, mm. oh, yeah, okay, good luck getting bloods out of him, mm. you know. Like, anyway, they brought him back and they were like, he was so well behaved. Oh, wow. We did the bloods, we did that. I just said, I said how do you – 
how did what you know yeah. what is who's this dog what is your secret i mean he was sick and he has calmed down a lot with age to be fair but um they were like oh look sometimes when they're away from their owners they just you know they're looking around all the vet nurses are there they just mm. kind of you know fall into line so anyway yeah. there you go it's i don't funny, know about I, humans but it seems I've, to honestly i've observed the same sort of thing with my three-year-old mm. is that she'll she, you know she's she feels more comfortable letting us see her at her absolute worst than, mm. the, than she feels comfortable letting people who don't see her on a day-to-day basis. Mm. So, you know, she's more likely to have a complete meltdown with us than yeah. other people. So it's interesting, isn't it? It's fascinating, mm. isn't it? Anyway, so there you go. Mm. So, yeah, sorry, it's not a super anesthesia and learning related. But my point is that um, you just – you're always surprised, aren't you? There's yeah. always something that comes up. So. Yeah, every now and mm. then we have these topics that are relevant for anesthesia that are actually really thought-provoking mm. to so many other facets of life and I suppose this is no different. Yes, like your dogs. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Well, it's been an interesting and thought-provoking discussion on today's episode of Deep Breaths. Please reach out and email us at deepbreathspod at gmail.com if you have any suggestions, requests, or you want to share a friendly hello. We love hearing from you. Consultants and fellows, be sure to claim CPD for listening. Instructions on how to do so are in our episode notes. Thanks for listening, and we hope you can join us next time on Deep Breaths.